Okay, everyone, if we could be uh, opening our Bibles, where should we open them to? To the book of Mark, <clears throat> chapter 12. All right. How are we all doing today? Good to see everyone. I hope we're ready for a good time, a Bible study, uh, because we love the Word of God and we love digging in and pulling out God's message, not our message, but God's message for us. And um, we have an exciting day. It's already been exciting, but uh, excited about uh, the rest of our service. Uh, after I get done preaching, we're going to take communion. And then uh, Robert and Brenda have a special song for us after communion, have some announcements, last song, and then at 4 o'clock today, my son is getting baptized into Christ, Mr. Carter, so very excited about that. And yes, I don't, he uh, insisted on not being baptized in the hot tub, so I'll go be going to the hospital uh, right after baptism, but it'd be worth it. Okay, um, let's get into the Bible today. I got, a lot, I got a lot to say in a short amount of time to say it. So uh, uh, we are finishing our sermon on love today. Now, of course, that won't be, we won't be done with love, you know, after the sermon series. Hopefully, we'll be inspired to love God and love one another more and more. Amen? Uh, but we're going to wrap up our sermon series and we've talked about, in essence, the uh, desire to know the love of God, to understand it, to be filled with God's love, and to overflow this love to the world around us. So far, we have tried to focus on some of the elemental uh, uh, truths, characteristics of the love of God. Of course, we could preach the rest of our lives on this topic uh, but we have so far talked about how God's love is a covering love, how we, His love covers, covers us, covers our sins, how it is an abundant love. It's not just a, a little smidgen of love, that He loves us in an incredibly abundant way, how this love is an enduring love, how it is a detailed love. And I know Grayson preached last week on how God's love comforts us. Amen? So... Uh, again, the call all along has just been not to just know this love, but to be filled with it and to overflow with, overflow with it. And today, I'm going to conclude with a somewhat, I think, challenging sermon on how we should be loving people like God does. Ephesians 5 says, to love as the Lord has loved. And that's a challenging thing to do. But much like the book of Romans, the book of Corinthians, or many of the epistles, Paul starts with uh, theology and then ends with some practical challenges. So we've tried to focus in the sermon series mostly on God and who he is, but we're going to end with some practical challenges for us. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right. I, I knew you were there. Okay. Um, and so the title of today's sermon is Tough Love. Tough Love. A lot of times we think about tough love. We may think about speaking the truth in love or these types of things, but actually, 
What I'm going to talk about is loving people who are tough to love. And we all got some of those in our lives, don't we? Tough love. I'm going to talk about four types of people we're called to love like God loves. The first is probably the easiest, and that's to love our neighbors. Unless you got really bad neighbors. That can be tough. But the, the, the call to love ourselves. Mm. The call to love those who are different than us. And the call to love even our enemies. All right? Okay. Let's read the Bible and leave football out of this. Mark chapter 12 in verse 28. Bible says, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. So this is God himself, Jesus, telling us, if we were to summarize what God wants, if we were to summarize the Old Testament, the New Testament, if we were to summarize, if we were to write a thesis statement, so to speak, of what God would want to communicate, it's to love him, love God, and by the way, just a little Sunday morning love, no, let's Let's boo, okay? Sunday morning love, boo, right? Loving God with all your heart, all your mind, all your intellect, challenging your mind, challenging your emotions, challenging your soul, challenging your strength, your actions, your deeds to love him with everything you are, everything you have, amen? Um, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. So he deals with what will, what will uh, draw us close to him, what will... Uh, exude him to our world. By the way, if the whole world would do this today, the whole world would love God and love their neighbors, how would, how would we do? Would it be better or worse? Well, let's do it then. Amen? Let's start with ourselves. We can't change the world till we change ourselves. So let's start with us, okay? Talk about, number one, loving our neighbors. Now, Jesus defined who your neighbor was. It's not just those who live in proximity down the street from you. It is anyone around you. So as you go throughout life, there will be other people that cross your path. That's your neighbor, okay? That's whom we're to love. A key thought, an action, for each of these, I'm going to have a key thought of what it means to love these, these tough people. Um, serve. Serve. Amen? Serve your neighbor. In the, in the parable of the Good Samaritan, he simply saw the need and did something about it. Serve them. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on loving our neighbors because I think for most of us, we're probably fairly neutral at least with our neighbors. Um, they're not too tough to love, but two people came to mind as examples that I have tried to imitate 
One is my uh, wife, Christy, in loving our neighbors, and the other is Chris Moose in loving, and I get to be both of their neighbors, one a little closer, <laughs> uh, but I get to watch them love the people they come in contact with. Christy, and I think these two, and of course, many, many others, but it's good to have good examples, amen? I think these two have transcended the acts of service to the Philippians 2, taking the very essence of a servant, the very nature of a servant, like Jesus, amen? So as I watch Christy, she, each holiday, she makes cookies for all of our neighbors. Some neighbors we're more naturally close to. Some neighbors are rather cold. That's okay, right? I mean, that's typical. Christy doesn't just choose the neighbors she likes. She gives cookies to all the neighbors. She invites them over for meals. Uh, she has loved. Uh, we had one neighbor that was an elderly lady who her, all her family was gone. She was in the home alone, so she had one of these um, I've fallen and I can't get up deals. And, and it would, she would hit that, and, and uh, uh, Christy was the one uh, that the police would call to go take care of her. Isn't that awesome? Our kids would go over there and eat lots of ice cream. Um, so does an incredible job. You know, uh, Chris Moose is an incredible servant. We know that. But one time I was given a snowblower, actually. I was given a snowblower, but I already had a snowblower. And so I thought, who could I give this snowblower to that would use it for God's purposes? And I thought, absolutely Chris Moose. Because Chris Moose, when it snows, doesn't just shovel his driveway. He shovels most of the neighborhood's driveway. So this guy needs a snowblower. And uh, uh, I gave him the snowblower. I said, I want to give you this because I know that you will use it to love your neighbors. Because you were constantly doing that. And uh, he said, that's cool, because that's exactly what I was uh, thinking of. Um, these guys involved with their kids, our kids, their kids, just incredible uh, loving of their neighbors. So what can you do today? What can you do? Think of how you can serve your neighbors. Winter's coming up. Um, holidays coming up. There's some things that you can do uh, to serve your neighbors. Amen? Okay, that was easy. I want to talk next about loving ourselves, loving ourselves. Whoever in here gets down on themselves at times? And when we get down on ourselves, when we struggle or we sin or our weaknesses come out, how, how do we do at loving ourselves in that moment? I think it's rather easy to start being unkind to ourselves. We start treating ourselves worse than we would treat anyone else okay and there's a major problem in our society guys uh the, the amount of depression uh, uh anxiety suicidal uh, uh feelings and temptations in thought uh someone asked me the other day uh what does the bible have today to say about suicide and i thought it has a lot to say about it thou shalt not kill but we don't think of that, do we? But suicide is an ultimate expression of hating yourself, which is incredibly unbiblical. You know, uh, uh, a lot of us, when we talk about loving ourselves, some of us are like, 
Eh, that's easy. I mean, it's me. <laughs> hey, you know, Fonzie syndrome, right? Hey, like uh, the old self. No problem here. Some of us are, are truly incredibly arrogant like that, okay? But not too many of us, especially if you're in this room. You're probably at least somewhat aware that you are a sinner and that your nature is fallen, okay? You with me there? And so how do we treat ourselves? We don't like to sin. We don't want to sin, and so we want to repent of sin. But there's confusion somewhere along the line where uh, we don't know the difference between acknowledging sin and repenting and in that process not hating ourselves. I want to read Romans chapter 5. Any perfectionists in the crowd? I, I, I happen to know a few. You know, if we struggle with perfectionism, this is really, it's really tough for us to learn how to love ourselves. But listen to this in Romans 5. And the question we need to ask is, if God loves us even though we've sinned, then why do we think we have the right to treat ourselves differently than God does? Looks in the Romans chapter 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith. So the book of Romans teaches us that we're justified not by being law keepers, not by obeying the old covenant law, but the principle that you can, can take from that is not by being good enough, not by being uh, uh, rule followers, so to speak, okay? And a lot of times we get confused thinking that we're justified and you think, well, no, I don't, I don't think of the Old Testament. Do you think at times that God loves you more when you do well than when you're struggling? You're a law keeper. That's the law keeper heart that we all struggle with, okay? But here it says that we're justified through faith. Romans 3 says this is a gift from God. This is not from ourself, okay? So we're justified through faith. And Romans 5 now teaches us, here's one of the first results of the gospel, of the fact that we believe we're justified, not from our law keeping, but as a gift that we receive. It says that, therefore, um, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, we have peace. What is peace? Peace doesn't just mean a calm, uh, serene feeling. It means the war is over. It means that the war between our flesh and the spirit, the war that, 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 that we were God's enemy because of our sin, but he sent the great high priest to go between and when we received the offering that Jesus, the blood that he shed, when we received this by faith, repentance, making Jesus Lord and being baptized into Christ, that we are now at peace with God. And if we are at peace with God, then should we be at peace with ourselves? We should receive this gift. It says, through whom we have 
gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So as a disciple, we are in grace. We don't get into grace by having a good quiet time. Like, okay, bad quiet time. Out of grace. Oh, I better do a good deed. Into grace. Woo! Hope Jesus comes now. Oh, lusted. Oh, man, I'm such a bad, I'm a luster. Oh, I got open. Oh, phew. now I'm good. Oh, but I was proud about getting open. Now I'm bad. <laughs> oh, that was selfish. Oh, now I'm really more bad. Oh, grace. Uh, love of God. Love of myself. I better fix this. Are you with me there? We hopscotch in and out of this shallow, thin grace, and that's how we feel about ourselves. It's not right. We need to be at peace with ourselves. The gospel, we're at peace with God, at peace with ourselves. Romans 7, Paul exclaimed, Paul shares his feelings as a disciple. Oh, what a wretched man I am. He struggles with sin. The good he wants to do, he doesn't do. The bad he doesn't want to do, I, I do that, and I do it again. And his conclusion is, what a wretch. What a wretched man I am. But then Romans 8 says, but there's no condemnation for those who in, are in Christ. And then um, he ends Romans 8 with more than a conqueror. So the key thought in loving ourselves is accept yourself. Accept your strengths and your weaknesses. Accept uh, that the fact that you do struggle with sin, but that doesn't diminish the love of God and the delight of God in you. Um, there's things you can do. There's things you can't do, and that's okay. You have limits. You know, we hear this, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So we think, I can do, that means I can do everything. You know what? That's a misapplication of the Word of God. You can't do everything. I went to a football game yesterday. I can't do a lot of those things those guys can do. Well, I can do it with Jesus. No, you actually, you can't. Okay? But when you come across something that you're not very good at, do you lose love and peace for yourself? Okay, I've got something from a monk, Bernard of Clairvaux, about, uh, about the 1,000s. He was a Sistine monk. Cisterian monk, and he had a profound impact on a few guys you may have heard of, Martin Luther and John Calvin, which, by the way, if you think, oh, I'm not going to listen to Martin Luther, you're, 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 you don't know church history. Martin Luther is an incredible hero in our faith. Amen? Okay. Um, but this guy said this. There's four levels, four degrees, four depths of love. The first is one that we don't struggle with, the love of self for our own sake. That's just selfishness, right? We don't need to work too hard on that. Okay, but then it's the love of God, but for our own sake. So then we realize, you know what? If I do better spiritually, I think my life's going to go better. True, but we start to love God just for still our sake, okay? 
in that, but then the third level is a love of God for God's sake. So you know what? I'm not trying to earn God's favor. I've already received it in the cross. But I want to be close to God. I want to be intimate with God. I want to love God to be a friend of God. I want to encourage his soul instead of just that. I want to bless him. Does God need that for me? No. Does he want it? Absolutely. He wants intimacy with us. But that's still just the third level. The fourth level, listen now, is love of self for God's sake. Love of self for God's sake. Now, ooh, that, mm, what, what you talking about, Willis? Okay. Uh, I just lost about three-fourths of the crowd right there. No idea who Willis is. Okay. Uh, sorry. You can, you can look it up on YouTube. Google it. Yeah. Um, so let me ask you a question. Jake Kornick leads us in worship. Amen? We appreciate his service. So is it better for God's church if Jake is up here feeling, man, I'm just a, I'm a horrible guitar player. Oh, I can't really sing. I'm just, oh, I made a mistake. Excuse me, everyone. I made a, I made a mistake. I'm going to go beat myself up for a while. Then maybe we'll get back to someone else. Just I'm just done. Is that what is best for the church? Or is it better for the church, for Jake, to feel in all humility, not for his own ego's sake, but for God's glory's sake, to feel like I've been gifted by God? I've been, I have been some natural talents and gifts, and I can let God use those to glorify himself and to help lead this congregation, not to attention, but to attention. Are you with me? So when he loves himself for God's sake, that's a good thing for everyone. Are you with me there? That's how that works. Do you love yourself? Or are you just hating on yourself? Stop. Stop hating on yourself. You don't treat anyone else that way. Why would you treat? When someone else sins and they come to you and say, hey, I need to, I need to confess some sin. Dummy. Man, you, how many times are you going to do this? You, oh, you even a Christian? You wouldn't do that to anyone. If you would, stop, okay? <laughs> you don't do that to anyone. But, but why do you do it to yourself? Are you different than everyone else? Oh, because oh, you should be better than everyone? No, you shouldn't be. Just join the club here. Okay, number three, loving those who are different, different than us. A major struggle in our society today. Cultural divisions over differences of race, age, opinions, politics, parenting, sexual orientation, gun control, food, religion. Do I need to go further? Okay. And here's the thing. Culture always it tends to seep into the church. And so the 20th century church's answer to all these divisions 
has been one of two things. Either destroy the difference, just destroy it, just call it evil, put your thumb on it, and just yell at it. Okay? How does that work? Or let's just ignore it. So let's just have a white church and a black church. Let's just have a church that does this. They're all vegans. And this church are all hunters. And the theme of this church is Acts chapter 10. Go, kill, and eat. It's incredible to me. I've seen vegans and I've seen meat eaters. And I don't even know if I'm saying it right. Is it vegetarian, whatever? I've seen them have a real hard time loving one another. But how about uh, homeschooling? How about homeschooling? A lot of times homes, people who homeschool or don't homeschool have very strong feelings about this. So I've seen people leave church. I've seen churches divide over homeschooling. Just a difference of opinion. So what's the Bible's answer? What's the Bible's answer? The Bible is to learn to love and respect through our differences. Love and respect one another through the differences. The Corinthian church was divided and factious because of differences. Differences about leaders. Some like Paul, some like Apollos, some like Peter. Some were like, I don't like any leader. I just like Jesus. I just, I'm just going to listen to Jesus only. Incredibly divided. Dealing with sin in the church, chapter 5. Lawsuits amongst the believers, chapter 6. Marital statuses, chapter 7. Which food to eat and not eat, and how to eat it and when to eat it, chapters 8 and 10. Whether you should pay the leaders or not. There's a whole church. There's whole churches built on the fact that we have no paid ministers. Um, the Lord's Supper, chapters 10 and 11, how to do the Lord's Supper. Churches have divided over whether at the end of communion you should throw the leftover wafers and bread and juice away or if you should keep it in a holy place. Churches divide. The body of Christ divided over the body of Christ. <laughs> Can we come to our senses at some point? Important people and less important people, chapter 12. Those who are more valuable and not. How we do worship. Oh, let's not get started. About how we do worship. I want instruments. I don't. I want old hymns. I want new happy radio songs. I want uh, drums. Quiet those drums down. Uh, I want carpet. I want swirlies on our carpet. Oh, I want lines on our carpet. Almost happened in this church. Mercy, the resurrection, chapter 15, money, ooh, chapter 16, all this in the church in Corinth. Church is constantly going to face this barrage. Why do we think? It's because of people? No, it's because of the enemy of the church who can, wants to divide. It's, he'll choose anything to figure out how to divide his people. So we've got to learn to love people who are different than us. How do we be different and yet one? How do we move from discord to harmony? I believe it's love through respect. I want to read from 1 Corinthians, a very famous passage on love, but knowing 
that this letter in context deals with all these different opinions and people who are different from each other, race, culture, opinion, all kinds of things. I want to read it in that context. So if you would just give me the permission, I'm not changing the Bible. I'm just, I'm just going to put a few words in to help the, remind us of the context of loving those who are different. Chapter 13, verse 4. Love is patient with those who are different from us. Love is kind to those who are different. It does not envy differences. It does not boast about how we're better than those who are different than us. It is not proud toward them. It is not rude toward those who are different. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered by differences. It keeps no record of the wrongs or differences. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth of what binds us together. It always protects the differences. It always trusts the differences. It always hopes And always perseveres with those who are different. Can we just think of what would it be like if we were all the same? That's a scary place. What if we were all like, okay, I'm not going to pick on anyone, okay? <laughs> but, that, but our differences makes us beautiful. Our differences of colors, our differences of opinions, our differences of how we do things, that's what makes us rich. That's why I'm so proud to be a part of an international fellowship that has different races and different cultures and different styles and different even opinions on important things, not just what color the tile should be, okay? We can be different and we can be one in Christ if we learn to love and respect, key word is respect, our differences. And lastly, our enemies, loving our enemies. Now, unless you're really, really, really a jerk, you probably don't have too many, like, the enemies lined up. Like you're walking out here and you're ducking for cover over the enemies coming after you, right? Any, any of you feeling that way? Probably not too many. I mean, maybe a few. You know. But I think enemies can be broadened, the principles can be broadened to all those who have hurt you, all those who have sinned against you, all those who have disrespected, far be it, disrespected you, all those who don't like you, all those who let you down, all those who have abandoned you. Let's read these verses in that context. Luke chapter 6. Jesus brought a different way, a radically different way, to deal with our enemies. Luke chapter 6, verse 27. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. 
someone strikes you on one cheek, turn to him the other also. Someone takes your cloak, do not stop him from taking your tunic. Give to everyone who asks you. And if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be, take notice now, and you will be sons of the Most High. That doesn't just mean you'll be children of God. It means you will be like God. You will be sons of God, like Him, in how He treats His enemies. Because He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. So, the world gets the fact that you be good to me, I'll be good to you. You be my friend, I'll be your friend. The world gets that. The Lions Club gets that. Knights of Columbus gets that. I don't know. Volleyball leagues get that. Right? I'm buddies with my fellow Vikings fan. Okay? But Jesus says, no, 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 no. That, there's nothing different about you if that's how you are as Christians. What's going to be different about you is how you treat those who have hurt you, how, those how you treat those who are unkind to you, how, those, how you treat those who you feel like, you know, unspeakable things, okay? Um, Paul, Jesus, as he was being nailed to the cross, prayed for his enemies and said, Father, forgive them. It wasn't Father, curse them. I know you'll take care of them. No, no, it was like, Father, no, 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 no. Please forgive them. They just, they don't, they don't get it. God, please don't, don't have wrath. They don't get it. Okay, please forgive them. They know not what they do. Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy 4, everyone abandoned him. Everyone had deserted him in his greatest hour of need. Sometimes we can feel this way about the church. We feel like, I thought this was to be a loving church. But when I was in the hospital, no one loved me. I didn't get no flowers. And I heard it say, God, someone else sent flowers to them in the hospital. Guess I'm not important. Guess they forgot about me. Okay? It, it won't be long, and that's how you'll feel around here. Okay? Because <laughs> this church is made up a bunch of sinners. All right? And, uh, 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 um, Paul said, may it not be held against them. May it not be held, Father, against them. I don't want, I don't want them to be, uh, 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 pay the price for this, okay? Um, key words are two words in loving our enemies. One is forgive, but there's another word, bless. Bless. I think too often we stop at forgive. But when we stop at forgive, there's an environment. We stop at forgive, but then we distance. Coolness. When that happens, there's an environment created in our heart, like a Petri dish 
that's set in a warm, moist place is an environment created for bitterness. Are you with me there? When we just forgive, the Bible doesn't say just forgive. It says go and bless them. Do good to them. Be kind to them. It's like, well, they don't deserve it. Hmm, I wonder what that reminds me of. We'll talk about that as we take communion. Um, forgiveness and distance is not good enough for a disciple of Jesus. Forgiveness and blessing is how we love our enemies. You know, I really was deeply convicted about this a few years back when I was dealing with some really deep things in my relationship with my dad. And my family had gone through some things that were hard, and it had affected me. And as a grown man, I didn't realize it, but I had distanced myself from my physical family, especially from my dad. And I was working through some things. I was getting some counseling, which I think is an awesome thing to do, and we all need it. Um, and the counselor said something. I was talking about this and past and that. And he, and he said, uh, he said, let me ask you a question. He's like, how often do you pray for your dad? And I was like, and I just, like, here I am, not just a disciple, but a minister. And if you've been around me much, a minister who believes in prayer. Amen? And I'm not even praying for my dad? See, I thought that I had forgiven, but I had allowed the distance to creep in. And it just deeply cut me. It deeply convicted me. And I started praying for my dad. And now I pray for my dad pretty much every day. And then my heart was changed. I started visiting. And I started inviting him to... To things and I started going down to see him more and I, I had, we had a talk you know the talk every son needs to have a talk with his dad at some point multiple ones about how you, how you feel and I, we had the talk and you know what it went not very well <laughs> but that's okay because it wasn't about him it was about my heart in growing and maturing and forgiving and blessing, and I call him and I text him. I'm not, not arrived. I still need to continue to grow. But the problem was not with what happened to me. The problem was with how I was responding. I wasn't being like this. And guys, this happens most in our families. Parents, and I'm not just saying if you're teens and your parents. I'm saying adult people, your parents. Have you forgiven, and are you going to bless them, or are you cursing them with distance? Siblings, one another, relationships, spouses, almost every time of marriage, we sit down, I can open up, love your enemies. I'm not my enemy. Well, you're treating them like it. Well, they hurt me. Uh-huh. Well, they're not what they should be. Uh-huh. Well, they're, they're, uh-huh. Yeah, I get it. Not the point, though. The point, though, is are you forgiving and blessing them? Well, I, I will once they change. 
Oh. <laughs> okay, I'm confessing. Sometimes how I feel. All right? And then God humbles me with my own feelings. <laughs> with Christy, he puts us in the front row if I ever get too high and haughty. God makes sure that I learn what I need to learn in my marriage. How do we, how do we um, forgive and bless? Romans 12, we're not going to read it, 17 through 21. Read it on your own. But pray for them. Release them and do good to them. This will grow your heart to be a son or daughter of God. Amen? Romans chapter 5, we're going to read this to go into communion. If you're visiting with us, we take communion every week. You're welcome to take it. You don't have to take it. You're not going to be embarrassed. Uh, either way, um, we believe communion is a time of remembrance. It's a time to remember, like a memorial, like visiting a gravesite. But we remember Jesus, who he was, uh, that he died and why he died, that he was raised to life through God's power, and that he lives today. So it's a time of communing with Jesus, who lives today and is here. Amen? And uh, uh, proclaiming who he is, his death, burial, and resurrection, until he comes again. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. I want to read this as we talk about loving our enemies. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love, his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Let's meditate on these words and on our love, on our tough love, while we take communion.